I put my hands in my pockets is because I don't quite know what to do with them. So it's kind of like you just have to get used to it as, uh, as I go along. So, as Paul said, my name's Paul. There's a fair few of us around, and um, I'm one of the pastors here, which is uh, it's a great privilege to be among everyone. We've been here six months, seven months now, and um, settling in well, loving being beside the seaside, beside the sea, and um, it's a great place to live, and it's a great place to be. So, I want to start off this morning by sharing a kind of like a personal hobby of mine, and my first experience of this personal hobby. I want to talk to you about triathlons, okay? And um, I've been doing triathlons for about three years now. And um, as you can see, I'm built for it. And, um, and uh, it's kind of, it's always one of those things that I never thought I'd be able to do. So triathlon, you do a run. No, you do a swim first. So you get in the water. It'd be bad if you do a run first. You're doing it in the wrong order. So you do a swim first. You get yourself in the water Sometimes about 400 metres, sometimes about 750 metres, sometimes about 1,500 metres. Depends. I do about five. But no, I'm up to about 400, 750. So you do your swim. You get out of the water. You run down to where your bike is in a place called a transition area. And that's where everyone's bikes are all racked up. And then you get on your bike. You do a bike ride. You get off your bike. You put your bike back in the transition area. You get your gear on for your run. And then you do your run, and then you cross the finish line. So that's the idea of a triathlon. Let me tell you what the reality of a triathlon is actually like. So my first attempt at a triathlon, you've got this area called the transition area. That's where you leave your bike and everything's set up. The thing is, because you're you're going from this one place, it's got to be really ordered, and it's got to be really well organised, because that's the place where you get changed. So if you do your swim, you run to this area, you get your stuff on for your bike, you go on your bike, you come back, and then you get your stuff on for your run. Do you get that? Does that make sense? So my first one, like a pro, everything was set up perfectly. I had my trainers, I had my towel, I had my t-shirts, I had my bike hat, I had my bike glasses, I had kind of like bottles of water and all this kind of thing. I'd seen it on YouTube, which meant it was... I was going to be really good at it. Okay, so it was all really set up. All looked really good. I was ready for the change. I was ready for those transitions from the swim to the bike to the run. I do the swim. Get out. Run down in a nice pair of these shorts. So that's all I had on. Running in front of everyone. Yeah, I haven't got any images. I don't want you to kind of carry any horrible pictures. Okay. And then you get into your transition area to get your stuff for your bike on. Now, I thought this was going to be really easy. At the moment of change, I forget that I'm soaking wet. I try to put a T-shirt on when my top's soaking wet, and I'm like, right, okay. I finally get it on. The T-shirt's up here, kind of hanging off me. I've got wet feet. I have to try and get a pair of bike socks on and bike shoes on. I'm like, right, am I going to do this? I end up with one sock on, two shoes. Then you have to put your bike hat on. Then you have to take your bike, and then you run out. You have to do that. You come back. You get ready for your run. By that time, everything's all over the place. And you're like, right, first off, you've got to try and find where your area is, because there's lots of areas. You find that, you get back to the place, there's stuff everywhere. You have to put your bike back on. You have to try and sort your T-shirt, which is still kind of half up here. You have to take your your bike hat off. Basically, everything, by the end of it, is a total and utter mess all over the place. 
And then you stagger across the line after a run. You think, thank goodness that has ended. But for some reason, I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Here's the reason why I wanted to tell that little story. Simply this. In the times of change, just like in a triathlon, in the times of transition, just like in a triathlon, I don't know if this is your experience, no matter how organised you think you are for that moment of change and that moment of transition, the honesty is it can be really messy when we get involved in it. We can think it's going to be perfect. We can think it's going to be kind of like, I've seen the YouTube clip, change is going to be easy. But when it comes to it, right in the middle of that moment of change, it's like, my goodness me, this is it's a bit more awkward than what I thought it was. It's a bit more messy than I ever imagined it would be. So this morning, what I want to try and do is unpack what the Bible says about change, where God sits in change, and actually try and describe what change looks like for us. I think change is one of those things that we choose to do, or change happens to us. Sometimes we've got no choice in change. Other times we do have a choice in change. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's anyone sitting in this room that has not been through some sort of change. The fact that you grow up is change. The fact that you came from your house to here, I know you're used to it, but it's a different environment. It was change. Change from the smallest through to the biggest happens. And it happens to everyone. And it's something that we all experience. The Bible then is full of change. Even in Genesis, we have a God that spoke and stuff was created. Imagine that change. Do you know what? I would love to have been there just to have seen bang. And like, oh, however that worked out, whatever that looked like, change happened. And God started something that is still in motion today. And all through the Bible, there are different stories of change, there are different elements of change. The fact that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, was raised again, ascended to heaven. For me, that is one of the biggest change points in history ever. Biggest change point in history ever. It's changed my life, it's changed your life, it's changed the course of history. The Bible's full of change. We can't go through it all this morning, but what I'd like you to do, if you've got your Bible, is turn to Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. Just while you do that, John F. Kennedy, great quote from JFK, said this, Change is a law of life. Change is something you can't stop. Sometimes you do have the choice. Sometimes change is out of our capacity to stop. So JFK, just a great quote from him. But what we're going to do is look at Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 through to 11. And I'm just going to quickly read this out. Here's what it says. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them 
A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. There's a lot of times, as you will notice. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity into the hearts of the into human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Here's what Ecclesiastes is doing in this bit. You have total opposites. In there's a time for this. There's a time to be born. And then over here, there's a time to die. Okay? Uh, There's a time to be fixed. There's a time to be broken. Uh, What else have we got in there? I'm sure you get the point. Let me do one more. There's a time to plant. And there's a time to uproot. There is such a vastness between the two so much change between the two and then you've got that contrasted with the final bit in verse 11 where you've got this God over all of that an overarching massive God that kind of somehow sees and looks at all this change So the passage shows that we are subject to time and change, which actually we have sometimes very little control over or say in. I didn't say when I was to be born. Pretty much, I don't really get to say the day when I'm going to die, unless I choose to, but I'm right on that one at the moment. There are, there are times and seasons where we just don't get a choice in stuff. So what does Ecclesiastes tell us then? What what does that kind of leave us with in terms of change, in terms of God who overarches such a wide variety of life that we all face? Here's the first bit that I think it says. That we have God who is a creator. We have creator God who overarches. There's a time for this. And there's a time for that. He sets the whole scene, which has its own shape, that we can't straighten out to our own preferences or manipulate to our own plans. We have a God. We can't change some things. I wish it would be summer all the time. But I can't do that. I can't change what the, this order of stuff. We have such a massive God that has created and set certain things, rhythms and patterns in creation. As much as I would like, in my view, to straighten out what he's made crooked, I can't. I'm just not that big. I'm just not that clever. And at times I think that I've got the right way. He's the creator. He's bigger It has its own rhythm. Life has its own rhythm that we find ourselves caught up in. A time for this and a time for that. Where, as I've said before, sometimes we just have very little choice in the matter. We don't 
get to choose what happens. I think Ecclesiastes 3, that end bit, talks about a God who is sovereign, kind of links to the whole creator element. We have a God that is sovereign. It says that he has made everything beautiful in his time. For me, God's sovereignty means this. He has allowed all the joys that have ever happened in my life to have happened. Over here, the sovereignty of God means he has also allowed all the frustrations that have ever happened. I don't know why, but if God exists and he loves me and he cares and he's over everything, he's allowed stuff. It's a place where God is sovereign. The writer of Ecclesiastes enables us to see, I want to read this bit out because I love this, what I've, not what I've written, that sounds a bit. But the writer enables us to see perpetual change, not as something unsettling, but as an unfolding pattern that is God-given. So change is an unfolding pattern. There's something unfolding. that If God's sovereign and he knows what he's doing, there's something unfolding in creation. Something's happening. Something's working itself out. The problem we've got is we don't see the big picture. We don't see why some things happen, why certain changes take place. We just don't see it sometimes. There is a dynamic, divine purpose within each beginning and end. What I mean by that is a beginning and end, a time of change. You've got your beginning and you've got your end. There is a divine, dynamic, divine purpose within each being, beginning and end, all playing a part within an overall masterpiece, which is the sovereign work of the Creator. He orchestrates everything. The question that that leaves us with, for me, if we've got this God that orchestrates everything, he's a creator and he's sovereign, I want to know if he's good or not. Last bit, God is unsearchable wisdom. Verse 11, it says, He has also set eternity into the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This, in a nutshell, we're saying that while we understand some things around us and we understand why some things have happened, there are times where we don't get what's happening. And there is a God who is very other than us. There is a hiddenness about God's ways that we just don't fully get. In change, then, we have a God that's creator. He sets the scene and he sets the rhythm. Change is part of what life is about. We have a God who is sovereign. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Whether we see it or not, he has made everything beautiful in his time. God is unsearchable wisdom. He has set eternity into the human heart and there is a hiddenness to God's ways. The question is, is God good or not for me? Because if they're true and God's not good, I'm not sure what kind of a relationship I would have with him. 
Does that, does that make sense? It's like you're in a room. It's like you're in a relationship with someone in a room and you just don't want to be in a room with them. Because if they've got this amount of say over everything and they're not good, for me as a Christian, in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, do I want that relationship? Do I want to be in the same room as him? The fact of the matter is, I do want to be in the same room as him. The fact of the matter is, the Bible says that God is good. We have sung it this morning. We've sung it this morning. It's, it's throughout the whole Bible. You could give one verse, you could give 20 verses to the goodness of God. One of the underlying foundational things to hold on to. When we look at God as a creator, God as sovereign, God as unsearchable wisdom. The God that's pulled apart a question in Ecclesiastes is, is God good? He is good. So when we think about these big overarching things of change and of God of creator, sovereign, unsearchable wisdom, we can rest assured that whatever happens, ultimately we have a God that is good. So much that he sent his one and only son to die so that we can have a relationship with him. God loves us. When it comes to points of change, and we don't quite get what's going on, there is this overarching God. I want to quickly, if I can, I've broken the stand. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. I want to quickly, if I can, give an illustration on what change is like. And um, it kind of looks like this. It's a personal illustration, and it's a personal kind of, it's a recent illustration, as a lot of you know. Um, we have recently moved here. Move in is a big life change. You go from one area to the next. And here's kind of what change looks like, okay? Here's what change actually looks like. This is what it looks like for me. If you move house and relocate, it might look differently to you, all right? With some of the stuff that we've had in mind, like I've just said, I want to kind of move into, into this bit. These are some of the things that change when you move house. These are some of the things that change for me. Friends. I left a load of friends behind in Messingham. Okay? That was, the first, that was one of the things that we've left behind. We moved from Messingham to come to Hastings. So we've left a load of friends behind. Okay? Right. I'm going to screw that up. The school run. The school run looked like a certain way. We would see certain people along the way. I could do that school one run route with my eyes closed after the eight years of being there. We would get there. I know what the gate looks like. I know what the front door of that school looks like. I know what the head looks like, how she acts. And I can tell you some of the parent chatter in the playground of that school. The school run was something I was so familiar with, really familiar with. I used to do park run. Park run is a 5K run that everyone, uh, loads of people in Scunthorpe used to do. It was about 500 people gathering. They do a morning Saturday 5K run. You go there, there'll be faces that were familiar. There'll be faces that weren't. I knew the roots of that park run. And we would always go for a coffee or a snack after park run. 
Bear with me, this will hopefully make sense. Finances. I knew what my finances looked like when I lived in Scunthorpe. I knew what my mortgage was. I knew what my council tax was. I knew what the weekly shop was. And I knew what kids' clubs I had to pay out for each month. Kids' clubs. My boy plays tennis. My daughter's a great swimmer. All the stuff I did after school. All the journeys and the trips that you have to take. And you kind of the pattern and the rhythm of your week. I knew what that kind of looked like and felt like when we lived in Messingham. Work. I knew what work looked like. I knew what time I had to get up and what time I'd get back. I knew the people that I worked with. I knew what the working week would look like. And it was a pattern that I was quite used to and I quite enjoyed. Bear with me, guys. Bear with me. The view from my home. God, it's amazing. I feel quite emotional. <laughs> The view from my home. I knew what it looked like to look out of our bungalow and see our neighbours. I knew what it was like to look out in the morning and see trees and stuff just kind of around. And it would be the same every morning when I'd wake up. In Messingham and Scumfort, where we lived for eight years and we did all the stuff we did, after eight years, all these were my anchor points. Oh, flip. <laughs> Man alive. These were the things that held me. They were normal. They were just like life. And that's why I was settled. And after eight years, they're the things that you don't recognize as being your life until you leave. Here's what it's like when you move. Here's what it's like. These things might be different, but here's what it's like when. You go from one venue to four venues, and these things might be written slightly differently. Here's what it's like when your daughter goes off to university. Here's what it's like when your partner dies. Here's what it's like when you drop your kid off to the school gate for the first time. This is what it's like when you move house around the corner. Whatever changes, the things that we've been used to, they go like this. These are your anchor points, they just kind of go like that. You, where are my anchor points? When you move into the new place, I've got to get used to a whole new view. I've got to get used to what my finances look like. I've got to get used to what work looks like and working with Paul. And Paul, Paul I, mean, I don't mean that, but Paul working with me. Like, we've got to get used to a new church. There's a lot of people to get to know, you know? My kids have got to sort out their new clubs. What's that look like? The school run looks very different. Believe me, I've got a hill to go up. It all looks different. So all my anchor points are everywhere. In times of change, no matter how big or small, never underestimate what was normal in your life. And those anchor points that are around you can actually be spread out. The good thing is, that I, for me, there's a process where over time, all these start to become normal again. So over however, however long it takes, whatever it look, looks like, whatever it takes, actually, these things do slowly come back. But life looks different. Life looks different. Change happens. Change can be hard. It can be difficult. Change includes loss, but it includes gain. Loss and gain. Change, either good or bad, 
can be very unsettling. Change can be unsettling. Our anchor points in whatever area of life is changing, which help us feel secure and safe, are no longer there. They're gone. So you have to try and find whatever they look like over a period of time for you. That's right, and that's normal. And there's a process of readjusting that actually takes place over a period of time that can re-establish these new anchor points. But do you know what's brilliant as a Christian? We have anchor points that do not move, even though these do. There are things so solid that do not move, even though life changes. Even though all these things are up in the air and then they land all over the place and there's a period of time where it's like, I don't know what life looks like anymore. Because all these things have got to work themselves out so that things slowly become normal again. Within all that, you notice that I didn't throw God up in the air and he landed somewhere else. God is in exactly the same place as he always has been, as he always will be, and he will be a foundation in no matter what change you go through. Because God is sovereign, God is a creator God, and God is unsearchable wisdom. Overarched by he loves you. He loves you. Unsearchable wisdom, when we don't get what's going on, Sometimes we've just got to trust that he knows what he's doing and we just don't get it. That's part of change. That's part of our trust. That's part of our faith. And summing that is what it means to walk out a life with a God that's just bigger than us. I just want to look at three examples from the New Testament that hopefully will ground some of this quite a bit more. Are you with me so far? Yeah? Okay, brilliant. Nice one. I just want to look at three different people in the New Testament that Jesus meets. Because as a Christian, Jesus is my saviour. I'm in a relationship with God and my sin is forgiven. But he's also, I like to see him as my teacher. My Christianity doesn't stop and end at forgiveness. He says life and life to the full. So for me, I believe he's got stuff to teach me, show me. How did he live? Do you remember the old bands, what would Jesus do? So what has he got to say to people in certain areas and moments of change? Let's look at the first example, Mark 14. This guy called Peter. I've called it the Peter example. Mark 14. I'm going to turn to that. Mark 14. This is the famous story where Peter denies Jesus. Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Mark 14, verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. This is Jesus speaking, sorry. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I won't. Jesus, I'll never fall away from you. It's never going to happen. You're saying it. What are you on about? Everything's fine. My relationship with you is as strong as ever. Go down to verse 66, 1466. 
While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the seven girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, he looked close, she looked closely and said, You are also with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it. I have no idea what you're talking about. I was never with him, he said, and went out into the entrance and further down. Um, after a little while, those standing near to Peter, surely you are one of the disciples, for you are a Galilean. Peter began to call down curses on them. And he swore to them, I don't know this man you are talking about. Immediately the cock crowed. So for Peter, he's walking with Jesus, okay? And um, this story just brings me so much hope. It is unbelievable. I love it. Peter says, do you know what, Jesus? I will never deny you. And then it goes goes for a period of time. Jesus in Gethsemane. Jesus arrested, Jesus before the Sanhedrin. And then Peter's confronted by all these people around. And they say, you were with him? And he's like, no, I wasn't. I was never with him. Don't know what you're on about. Right in the middle of a process of change, before the change happened, he was fine. He was like, no, that's all right. Right in the middle of this area of change, Peter's like, I don't know what to do. I've been put on the spot. I've got to admit that I know Jesus, but I just can't. I can't, I can't do it. And so he denies Jesus. Denies Jesus. Have you ever been in that place in a period of change where you think, like, I just didn't think it would feel like that. I never thought that this bit of life would feel like that. Whatever that might be. Whatever kind of change that is. You just weren't expecting that period of time to kind of feel that way. Join the pizza club. I reckon. I don't think Peter fully got, when he said, I'm going to never deny you, what it would feel like in the middle of that change, where actually he turned out to deny him. He turned out to deny Jesus. But here's what I love about it. Jesus told Peter, do you know what? You're going to deny me. You will deny me. There's just something about that that for me shows that Jesus not only knows what that change is going to be, but he kind of knows how we'll be within that change. And he's kind of there with us along the way. And although Peter messed up, Jesus didn't kick him out of the club. He didn't. He didn't. There is something wonderful about how Jesus handles this bit so personal and quite unique to each individual. So what I love about Peter's example of change is that his teacher Jesus knows that the change is coming, but he also knows how Peter will react and knows Peter's reaction better than Peter does. Our application is the same. The one who we follow as Christians isn't surprised by our change and the way we react to it. Jesus knows. Here's the next example. The well example, John 4. In John 4, you've got the lady at the well, the Samaritan. And Jesus begins to open up a conversation with her. And um, they're talking about all kinds of things. And then Jesus says to her, yeah, you're right, actually, um, in talking about some of this stuff. And um, let's talk about some of your previous relationships. And you've been married five times, and the person that you're with at the moment isn't actually... Your, your husband. 
And, uh, and the lady at the well says, yeah, you are right in saying this. You are so right in saying this. But straight after, she changes the subject. Straight after, she, she begins to talk about religious stuff. And she takes the focus off of her as a person and puts it onto something totally different over here. Something totally different over here. Have you ever been in that place where change has taken place before and you've been so worried that it will look exactly the same again that you just almost run away from any other change that's going to come? I, I just wonder if there's something in this lady where some stuff's happened before that hasn't gone well. She's had one change, one change, one change, one change, one change. Jesus starts speaking to her life about where she's at right now. For some reason, she just... It, the conversation's gone as far as she can take it. And so she changes the subject. Change can make us feel really unsettled, especially if we've had bad experiences before. Change can make us feel really unsettled and make us feel like we just want to just stop talking about it because it's freaking me out. But what I love is we have a Jesus that wants to speak into our change. But the thing is, how do we react when Jesus speaks into our change? When Jesus speaks into our life and how are we doing along the way? Ephesians 4.2 talks to us about some different virtues. Things to kind of work into ourselves. And, and to work towards and to try and kind of like see what we can do. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing in with one another in love. There's stuff in the Bible that speaks to us about how can we, how can we be in change. Bear with one another. Bear with one another. Talk to each other and things like that. But in moments of change, that can be so difficult. Really difficult to do. So here's what's brilliant. Ephesians 3, 14. A prayer for the Ephesians. Listen to this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So Paul is praying for those people that they will be empowered in their inner being to be able to live some of this stuff out. We don't have to do it on our own. Being in Christ... It's something so beautiful and wonderful. There's an inner strength that comes to face the stuff that we have to go through. When we pray for each other and we pray for this stuff, then we find strength for the journey along the way. And just one more example. Mark 10, 17 to 23. Are you with me? Are you with me? I don't know what that was. No idea. I feel a sudden sense of funniness having a handless microphone. Mark 10, 17 to 23. It's the story of a rich young ruler. And this example... So a man runs up to Jesus asking what he has to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, have you done this, 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 this? And the man said, yeah, yeah, I've obeyed the law since I was a lad. I've done everything I need to do, Jesus. 
What else do I need to do? What do I need to change in my life to inherit eternal life? And Jesus picks something, not that everyone, I don't think, has to do this. I think this is unique to this guy. But he says to the guy, go and sell everything. Give it away and follow me. And the Bible says that he kind of walked away with his head held low. And he was just like, can't do it. Can't do it. The cost of that change, the cost of following him personally, his personal possessions gone, in a sense. That change was so big for him that he just couldn't do it. And so his head hung low, he kind of walked away. Sometimes, I'm going to round up in in a couple of minutes, sometimes change can expose where our foundations are. What I mean by that is, for this guy, he had done everything possible that he thought was going to gain him his own life. Then doing Jesus said, like, sell your possessions, get rid of them, and then just have faith and follow me. Something was exposed in his reliance on money and, and wealth and that kind of thing. When change comes, and all these things are thrown up in the air like that, you soon realise that actually, where are my foundations? Do I have anything left in my trust in God that's going to get me through this? Or do I just totally fall apart and I quickly try and gather these up as quickly as possible because I'm like, I'm all over the place. So change can expose genuinely sometimes where our foundations are, where our, where our strength is in God. It can sometimes. So change can actually sharpen us up a bit. It can benefit. It can cause us to lean onto God in a way that we've never had to before. It causes us to come away from some of this and onto a God that is unchanging and that loves us. So just from the three examples from the New Testament, we get to see the very different situations that produce different anchor points. So here's what it might look like. Here's my little boat. I've just taken my wife away for a birthday um, to Venice, and there's a lot of boats in Venice. And you soon realize that you need anchor points when you're on a boat, especially on the Grand Canal, as people are trying to get on and off these bus boats, and this thing is all over the place. You soon realize that you need some ropes to tie onto some anchor points to keep you steady. In times of change, in a church that's going from one venue to four venues, in a time when small groups will be starting, in a time when whatever's happening, if you choose to go to Bexhill or or, uh, St. Leonard's or 6 o'clock church or 10 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and um, whatever that might look like for you, whatever's going on in life at the moment, and I'm not just talking about bad change, I'm talking about good change. Not all change is bad, by the way. Change is good, okay? It's a good thing. Here's what our anchor points might be. As Christians, as someone who is in Christ, as someone who has a relationship with God, I can honestly stand here and say, God is my creator, anchor point. God is sovereign and he is good, anchor point. God is wisdom, anchor point. God, Jesus knows. Jesus knows, anchor point. 
Jesus speaks, anchor point, and Jesus loves me, anchor point. Whatever transition is going on, whatever change is taking place, when everything else is up in the air, I firmly believe that for those who are in Christ, for those that have a relationship with God, this is some of what it means. Can I just pray? Is that all right? So God, I thank you first that you are massive, that you are creator, you are sovereign, you are unsearchable wisdom. We just don't get you fully. Sometimes that's all right and sometimes it's not. And we struggle with that. God, help us in the moments where it's not to let go a bit and let you do what you need to do and trust that you are good and all things work out for good. And we don't say that glibly. We say that in faith and in trust that you love us and you care for us. Thank you for the Bible that speaks so much to us. Thank you for the the stories of, of Jesus and what we can learn. That Jesus, you speak to us. Jesus, you love us. And Jesus, that you know and you get it. And so wherever we're at, I pray for a church, as a church, God, that as we transition and change, you will be among us, you would speak. Lord, I pray for unity to be among us as a group of people. Lord, I pray for individuals who are facing change. Let this be our story, God, of anchor points in you. Show us what you are like. I pray that you would reveal yourself in ways, God, that we just didn't know you were like that you will bring strength and you will bring faith in our times of change. Let your word be living and active in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to end...